Good morning, everyone. We're going to be reading from Mark 13, 28 through 37 today. We're going to be reading from the ESV. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey. When he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. There... Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening, or at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say it's to all, stay awake. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. All right, amen. How are y'all doing? I can see y'all now. There you go. I forgot how bright it is up here. Hey, my name is Mark. I think I know most of you guys, but if I don't know you, uh, I want to get to know you. And so uh, I work here with Tanner House here at, at Redeemer Church, Odessa. Um, so grateful for you to be here. Um, just wanted to, uh, first off, saying that there's connect cards on your chair. Um, if you are a guest or if you aren't a guest and you have a prayer request, there's a prayer request thing on the back uh, that you can write one out. And we'd love to pray for you guys throughout the week. Um, and so please do that. Um, if you are... Um, needing a Bible, uh, Tritton, the guy in the fishing shirt right here, he can uh, get you a Bible. We'll, we use the ESV. Um, we'll be in Mark chapter 13 uh, this morning, as Heather, as Heather just read, um, starting in verse uh, 28. And just as she read at the end, we see um, that in verse 32 it says, But concerning that day or the hour, no one knows, not even the angels, nor the Son of Man, but only the Father. Right? Referring to when Christ comes back. And so there's a story uh, I want to use to hopefully illustrate this. Um, it's kind of a funny story. Um, it's a personal story, but it's mainly geared towards my parents. Um, and so if you would, just imagine for me what, just a minute um, that you're having a date night on a Friday night, and the pizza's at the door, right? It's Friday night, you're off work, you're waiting for the pizza to get there. The movie's ready to play, and, and, and the movie was, I think, Dancing with the Wolves. And they're sitting down, and then all of a sudden, the story goes that there was a loud boom, and, that, and the, the house shook, and they look outside, and the lightning struck the house. And at that moment, your wife's water breaks, right? And so, and, you're, and, the, and the story goes that the baby is not due for another four weeks, and, and therefore, you are not prepared. And this story is, is, is my parents' story of, 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 of me coming into the world, that I was not due for another four weeks, and so, therefore, my mom, I, I just saw her this last weekend, and she said, I wasn't, the nursery wasn't prepared, we had no diapers, we had, you know, none of the essentials for a baby, because we still had four weeks, right? Um, but if you've ever gone through pregnancy or know people who've gone through pregnancy, it rarely happens on the date, right? Even if it's a C-section, right? It can still happen uh, beyond or before that. And so I want to, <laughs> I'm going to share this uh, silly story uh, to prepare us uh, for for uh, the text today, that just as in this story, we know there are signs of baby, right? You, when there's a lady that's pregnant, you can tell that she's pregnant, right? 
Um, but just with all pregnancies, I've just said, you never know the exact time of, uh, of the baby being born. So it is with Christ's return that we will see today. The past few weeks, uh, Tanner has gone through chapter 13. And by the way, chapter 13 is a very uh, difficult text to uh, go through. And so I'm thankful for Tanner and his diligence to do that and thankful to give me an opportunity to, to go through that hard work as well. Um, but the past few weeks, we've been going and reading through uh, Mark 13. And we've seen that there has been signs and there will be signs that signal the return of Christ, that signal that his return is near. Right, And I want us to be reminded that right after chapter 13 is chapter 14, of course, and it starts, uh, in chapter, the, the title of chapter 14 says, The Plot to Kill Jesus. And then at the end of that says, Judas Betrays Jesus. And so chapter 13 is the last discourse given by Jesus to his disciples and therefore to his church before he is to be crucified. Uh, Hughes puts it as, This is Christ's final address his farewell prophecy, right? And so these words are very important uh, for, the, for us to hear, for us to heed um, and, and listen to what Christ is saying. And I loved how Tanner ended his sermon, how the text ends last week, that when all these terrible things start to happen, when the tribulation comes, when the abomination of desolation comes, when the, referring to the Antichrist, the great Antichrist, and desolation and all this stuff happens into the world, I loved how the text ended last week in verse 26, it says, And then they will see the Son of Man coming in the cloud with great power and glory. And he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the, to the ends of the heavens. And so this whole thing of, uh, of the end times uh, and looking at what's, what's to come, tribulation and, and desolation, all these all this terrible things, but we ha- it ends with hope that Christ is coming at the end of this. It's culminating with his glorious return and gathering all the redeemed and making all things new. So in our text today, we are going to hear from Christ in his final discourse to be on alert for his return. To be ready so that our church may be found faithful, looking forward to the coming of the bridegroom Christ. I pray our time today will strengthen us as a church as we live in view of the end, awaiting our Savior. It was said there in our community group this week uh, that the end can, can kind of seem scary, right? And in ways, when we read, as we've heard from Tanner and as we look at the text, there is scary things in there for sure. But if we are in Christ, I believe this, this text, and other people have said that this text is, is meant, Christ is meaning to strengthen us as the church, right? To be alert, to be on guard, waiting for his return, living in view of the end. And so I pray this morning that's what it does, that it would strengthen us. Um, as we await our Savior. So to that end, let me pray, and we'll jump into our text. Father, thank you just for this opportunity to open your word. Thank you, God, just for uh, the fun dome. Thank you, God, for uh, the people in this room. And thank you, Lord, that this is a day uh, that has been uh, ordained by you. God, we're not here by accident. God, we didn't wake up this morning uh, just uh, because we're healthy or just because of this, but, Lord, you have caused us uh, our, you've caused breath in our lungs, Lord. You've you caused our hearts to beat, Lord. And you've ordained this day, Father, for us to be in this room and to hear from you. So, God, that's just amazing in itself to understand that uh, this is a day that's been ordained by you, God, to strengthen your church. 
God, for the gospel to go forth, to be reminded of that, Father, or even maybe for the first time to hear about the good news of Jesus. Father, I pray that you would prepare our hearts in this room this morning to receive your word, God, um, and God, that you receive all glory and honor for it. Uh, we thank you uh, for your word, and in your name we pray. Amen. Well, read, if you would, read with me uh, chapter 13, and we'll start in verse 28 and 29. So Jesus says this in 20, 28. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. So we see here in verse 28, Jesus uses an easy illustration that helps us see what is to come. In Palestine at this time, fig trees would start to leaf after winter in March and April, and then in summer, when summer got there, the figs would be produced. So during this time in history, the fig tree acted like a calendar showing the people around what season it was. So Jesus uses this illustration and that just as you know summer is coming when the fig tree starts to leaf, so also, as verse 29 says, when you see these things taking place, you know he is near at the very gates. These things, what Jesus is referring to here, um, as we saw last week, pertains to, to verses 14 through 23, what Tanner preached on last week. So these things, what Jesus says, pertain to verse 14 through 23. Jesus is saying that when you see the abomination of desolation, which means something that causes great disgust or, or a great evil against God, and it was prophesied, as, as Tanner pointed out last week in Daniel 11:31, which says, his forces will rise up and desecrate the temple fortress. They will abolish the daily sacrifice and set up the abomination that makes desolate. When Jesus says these things that are going to happen and they're prophesied, in verse 20, 27, uh, or 23, he says, be on guard. Right? When you see the abomination and desolation coming, when you see the great tribulation happening, right, he tells the church to be on guard. This is what we. This is what we've learned. Uh, this we learned has been previewed through learning about Antichius. Is that how you say it, Tanner? <laughs> the man Antichius, who desecrated the temple by sacrificing pigs on the altar in 167 B.C. We also learned that in verse 14 through 23 is also showing us a future event where the temple in Jerusalem will be destroyed in 70 A.D. by the by the Romans. These things in the context of the passage have, been, have happened and will happen as examples of the abomination of desolation. And yet, I want us to be reminded again that these events are only previews to what is to come. What happened in 167 B.C. and what happened in 70 A.D. when the temple was destroyed are only previews to what is still to come. There is still a time to come, as Jesus says in verse 19, Verse 19, he says, For in those days there will be such a tribulation as has not been from the beginning of the creation that God created until now and never will be. So this verse 19 informs us that everything that has happened in history combined will not compare to these days that verse 19 is referring to of destruction still to come. So again, Jesus is saying, just as you know summer is near by seeing the leaf on the fig tree, so too you will know he, referring to himself, the Son of Man, God in the flesh, our Savior and King, is near. 
And Jesus, at this time, is ready to come in great power and glory and gather his redeemed, as we saw last week in verses 26 through 27, when these things start to take place. And that's such a comfort, right? If, if you are this generation in this time and you see these things happening, but then you are reminded that after these things, it, you are promised that the Son of Man will come. What great hope that brings to the church, right? That it's not going to stop with just desolation, right? But that Christ is coming to make all things new, right? That's the hope that we have, church, in Christ coming. He is coming back. I was reminded this week of Mark 1, uh, chapter 1, verse 15, um, as, it, in, as it says, uh, as I was reading, he is near. And in, in, uh, verse, um, verse 29, right, it says he is near at the gates. So I was reminded of 115, Mark 115, which says this. It says, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. The language of Mark 13, 29 is not telling us that Jesus uh, it was, is near for the first time in history. But let us be reminded that Jesus has already started establishing his kingdom on earth by, becoming, by, be, by coming in human flesh, being born of a virgin. Jesus' birth is referred to as the first advent, where Jesus, who is God, has come to earth, taking on human flesh and experiencing life like you and I. He was sinless and died on the cross unjustly, for you and, and me, that we can be brought back in the, into the kingdom of God. That is the good news of the gospel. To be part of the kingdom of God means that God rules over your heart and your life, and you are back under, uh, back under your heavenly Father's loving care through Christ, freeing you from the bondage of sin by dying for you. In that verse in, in Mark 1.15, Jesus says, Repent. That word repent means turn from your sin uh, that only leads to destruction. And believe in me for the forgiveness of your sins. Jesus' language here in, 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 in chapter 13, verse 29, is referring to his second coming, right? Where he will come as judge. And those who have believed in him, those who have repented of their sins and turned to him, will be taken into heaven. But those who have not, who are not a part of God's kingdom, will be judged by Christ and cast into hell forever. So friend, the question that we have to ask ourselves is, have we trusted in Jesus? Do you know Jesus as your Savior and your Lord? Are you back under the watchful care of your Heavenly Father? I love this in John 3.17. It says, Jesus has come not to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So in Jesus' first coming, Jesus came to save the world, not to condemn it, but in his second coming, as we're seeing here in chapter 13, verse 29, when he comes again, he will come as judge. So the question is, do you know Christ as your Lord and Savior? So let's continue in, ver in reading in, in, in verse 30, 30 and 31 of chapter 13. Verse 30 says, continues, says, Truly I say to you, this, gener this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. So looking at the words, this generation, which we should have, probably have Devante come do a talk after this. He probably knows more. But looking at the words at, of this generation, one commentator says, lots of ink has been spilt on the subject of what generation Jesus is referring to here. Dan, uh, Danny Aiken, who's a, is a, a pastor, 
uh, seminary guy, he's, he gives two major views that try and answer this question of what generation Christ is referring to. And there's lots of other views, but he gives these two, which I think are, are important for us to hear. The first view that people have is that this con- the contemporary generation of Jesus' day who would see the dis- destruction of Jerusalem by the Romans in A.D. 70. Right, so some people say that when, when Jesus says this generation will not, will not pass away until these things take place, some think that is referring to the contemporary uh, generation in Jesus' day that will see the destruction of, of Jerusalem in 70 A.D. And the second view, which I agree with and I'll explain a little bit, is the eschatological or end-of-time generation that will be alive at the end of history who will see all these things. Which it, we reminded that all these things are verses in verses 14 to 23. This generation will be, uh, that will see all these things because they occur in close proximity to one another. So, looking at the first view, if we look at the whole of chapter 13, I think, um, and you can, you can disagree with this, but I think it's not the generation that Christ is referring to here. I think it can be in part because we know that Jesus did prophesy that the temple will be knocked down by the Romans, which did occur in 70 A.D. But remember that although the, the event in 70 A.D. was terrible, as we learned last week that over a million Jews died in that, in that terrible event, or be reminded of verse 19, where, again, Jesus says in those days, right, there will be such tribulation that has not been from the beginning of the, of the creation. Right, so as, as terrible as that event in 70 A.D. was, there's still according to that verse, still events to come that are, are incomparable, right, that, uh, that has not been experienced. So this is why I think from learning from people smarter than me and interpreting chapter 13, that view number two is the generation Jesus is referring to, which is the generation that will see and experience all these things that are still to come as we learned last week. This redeemed generation will experience this um, and we'll know that just as the leaf is blooming, right, as we learned, showing summer is on the way, that Christ is near. Right? They can have hope in knowing that they will endure to the end. Um, and as verse 13, and thir- verse, 13 chap- uh, verse 13 shows us, right, again, it says, He will be hated for all my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Right? So as they're experiencing this tribulation, if you are in Christ, you will endure to the end. And as Tanner pointed out last week in John 10, 28, Jesus says, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Right, so I believe this generation that Jesus is referring to again is the generation that's going to experience this tribulation, right, and then we'll, and if you're in Christ, you will endure it to the end. So the question is, how can we be sure of this, right, that Christ has said all these things throughout chapter 13? So how can we be sure of this? And look with me at verse 31. Jesus says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. By Jesus saying, my words will not pass away, reveals something to us about who he is. Jesus is revealing his identity as God. Psalms 119.89 says, forever, O Lord, your word is fixed in the heavens. God's word is the only thing that will last. And by Jesus stating this in verse 31, he reveals to us that he is God. His word is truth that has lasted through the ages and will continue even when everything else passes away. Jesus' prophecy of these things to come will happen because his word is truth. 
And some people, as Heather was spoken at the end, uh, we always tell our reader to quote Isaiah 40, verse 8, and some people have asked, why do we quote that? Right, Isaiah 48 again says, The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God remains forever. Well, this is why. His word is truth, and it is the only word that sustains you. Right, that's why we say that everything else is going to pass away, but this word that we hold dear, this word that we preach every Sunday, will be sustained, will last forever. Even when heaven and earth pass away, his word will not. To illustrate this and to, to kind of give you a real-life example of, of, of how the word sustains, I want to share this with you that's very near and dear to me and my wife, that right now we are going through a time uh, that's been a really difficult season. Uh, we've been dealing with loss. And the only thing sustaining us in this, in this time is the hope that we have in God's everlasting word. That one day this broken world that we live in will, will be replaced with a new heaven and a new earth and all things will be made right and his word will still be standing true. So the question we have to ask ourselves is do you have this hope found in God's word? The only way his word has sustained us and will sustain you is if, is this, is if as Colossians 3.16 says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Right? If we are in the word and is dwelling in us richly, if we are living in the word, it will sustain. Right? His word is truth and is, he is faithful. Scripture should permeate every aspect of the believer's life and control our every thought, our every deed, resulting in peace amidst every season of life. Self and the world will always fail you in finding hope, but Christ will sustain you through it all because his word will not pass away. Trust his word, live in his word, be in his word every day, not to check it off a box, but because you need it, I need it, you need it, the world needs it. So let us be people of the word because he is faithful. So lastly, let's look at the end of this discourse after Christ says these things of the fig tree, knowing that these point that he is coming when all these things are taking place, let's look at verse 32, uh, where Jesus says, But concerning that day or the hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. So if you've been in church for some time, you've probably heard uh, these words, right, of what I just read in verse 32 that we don't know the day or the time that is coming, not even the angels, um, nor the Son of Man, but only the Father. I love what Eric Barbie says on this. He's a pastor that I love to listen to. It's, he said, It shouldn't shock us to know that we do not know the day or the hour of Christ's second coming, or even the angels. Jesus could have just stopped here and kept on rolling, but the incarnate Christ tells us himself, he himself doesn't know. Right? And this should cause us to stop and pause and say, wait, how does Christ not know the, the, the day or the time that he is returning? He's the one returning. How does he not know, right? That's a question that we should ask. We should also understand that, be reminded that Jesus is God in the flesh, right? He is God incarnate. So how can Jesus, who is God, not know when he is returning? There's a lot that can, can and should be said on this subject, but for our time this morning, I want us to look at Philippians chapter 2, 6-7, through 7, and they'll be on the screen, and it says this. It says, Who though he, referring to Christ, was in the form of God, did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself 
by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. So from this scripture and other references, we can know that Jesus Christ was fully God and fully man on earth, right? The ESV Study Bible says it this way, which I love. It explains it this way. While Christ had every right to stay comfortably where he was, in a position of power, his love drove him to a position of weakness for the sake of sinful humanity, which is you and I, if you didn't know that. <laughs> right? His love drove him, to, from, uh, drove him to a position of weakness for the sake of sinful humanity. The emptying, as it says in these verses, consisted of, it, of his becoming human, not of his giving up any part of his divine nature. In Jesus Christ taking on human nature and entering into the time-space reality, he did not surrender his deity, but he laid it aside, as laid aside his glory. So the answer to the question of, if Jesus is God, why didn't he know the day of his return? I love how Perman states this, and he's a, he's a theologian. He says, this dilemma is solved by our understanding that Christ is one person with two natures. The answer is that in regards to his human nature, Jesus does not have all knowledge. Thus, in his human nature, he really did not know the day or the hour of his return. But in his divine nature, remember he's fully God and fully man, right? But in his divine nature, he does have all knowledge, and thus in his divine nature, he did know when he would, would return. And Matt so wonderfully reminded me uh, of this that regarding uh, Christ not knowing, he reminded me of John 5.19, which Jesus says this. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he, sa- what, what he sees the Father doing. Right? So we see in that verse that Jesus, the Son of God, came from earth, but only does what the Father wills. Right? He, doesn't, he doesn't just go around doing what he wants, but he is submitted to his Father. Right? That's just such a good reminder. So regarding Christ not knowing, it shows us that Christ chose to submit to his Father in heaven and not freely using his divine attribute unless directed by the Father. It's because of Jesus' love and submission that he acts in accordance to the will of the Father and not just in his own. As we see Jesus Christ submit to his Father in every way, we should strive to follow in Christ's example in desiring to submit and trust God's will for our lives. Right? And so that, that was just a sweet reminder that as we see Christ here totally and fully submitted to his, to his Father perfectly while he was on earth. If you are in Christ, we should follow in Christ's example of submitting to him, even when it is difficult, even when we don't know what the next step we should take. Right? If we can't see in front of us, we should trust in God and trust in his will and, and submit to him fully out of love right? because of what he's done for us on the cross. So as we've seen uh, in the series of events that shall precede Christ's return, and that no one knows the day of the hour of Christ's return, the question is then, what are you and I supposed to do? What is the church supposed to do in the, in the meantime? Well, read with me verse 33 through verse 37. Jesus says, Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when a time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening, or at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. 
And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. So Jesus says in, in, these, in these verses right here, four times in these verses alone, be on guard, be, stay awake, right? Keep awake. The church is not called to sit around and try to predict Jesus' second coming, right? I'm sure you've heard of people in, in, in history that have tried to do this. And all the people who have tried to do that, guess what? They've always been wrong, right? Like, we're still here. Christ apparently hasn't returned, right? And we're still here, right? And so what Jesus does tell us to do, instead of wondering when he's coming back, right? Because we don't, obviously we don't know. Jesus even says that. No one knows, not even the Son. What the church should be concerned with um, is how to spend our time on earth, right, profitably. To be awake and on guard is to be living in constant readiness, to be on alert for his return. Christ gives yet another illustration as you look at verse 34 and 36 of the doorkeeper who is, who is to be on alert. The doorkeeper is commanded to stay alert, be prepared for the master's return whenever that will be. In this illustration, the sudden return of the master's house corresponds to the sudden coming of Christ. This does not mean we are to be monks and get away from the world, but just the opposite. We are called to be witnesses to the world for Christ. So here at Redeemer Church, I was thinking through just our mission statement and our desire as a, as a church. There's two things um, amongst many, but two things I want to focus on and be reminded of as we, as we see Jesus' words here to the church, to stay awake, be alert, be on guard, and be... And, and, and be waiting for his return. We, as a church, want to heed these words, and there's two things that we believe uh, we are called to do as a church and, and being awake and being on guard. Number one is to be lights in the world that is desperate for a Savior. Humanity is searching for meaning and purpose. And maybe you're in this room this morning, and you've come and saying, man, I don't know what this world is about. I don't know what my life is about. I don't know where my life is going. I don't know how, why this happened in my life, Right? And you're trying to grab these things in the world um, to fill that void. But I want us to understand that only Christ can do that, and he will do that. And us as Christians, we are called to go and be witnesses to a world that is searching for purpose, searching for meaning. We are called to live on mission and proclaim the hope that we have in Christ. I didn't tell Robert this yet, but I should have. But uh, I, quoted, I quoted him in my sermon but Robert said this at our community group last week, which I think is so good for all of us to hear. He said, as a Christian, I'm not scared of Christ's return, but it makes me sad to think of all the people who don't know Christ because they will no longer have the opportunity to be saved. We have to make sure we are seeking to share the good news of Christ. Did you hear that? We have to make sure we are seeking to share the good news of Christ. Not that it's well, we might, right? But Christ commands us to go and make disciples as a follower of Christ because eternity is on the line. As it says in the text, we don't know when Christ can come back. It could be in any second now or it could be in the future, right? But we as a church are called to be awake, to be ready, right? And that is to be seeking to share the good news with others who don't know it so they can be ready. So again, the statement is spot on and exactly how we as Christians should be thinking. So we, as Redeemer Church, we do this by building relationships with others where we live, where we work, where we play, to seek to share the good news of our Christ, our Savior. An example of this uh, and, and how we're going to pursue this is that in each of our community groups, 
Uh, we were planning an outreach event to meet people in our community and invite them into our homes and show them the love of Christ and tell them of his saving work on the cross. And I'm excited to do that. I'm excited to be uh, a part of that with our community group. So the question is, if you are in Christ, does the love of Christ compel you to go and share at where you work, at where you play, in your family? Right? Do you understand what Christ has done for you on the cross? And are you awake? Are you alert to the fact that people around you don't know Jesus? There was a, a, a story this week that happened in Dalhart where this little girl, four-year-old girl, went down the slide of the water park and she went to the bottom and they never saw her come back up. And they got down to the bottom and she had drowned and because the lifeguard was not on duty. And I tell that story to be reminded of if there was a lifeguard on duty, he or she would have been alert, would have been awake that this girl is drowning. They would have saved her. Probably because no one was there alert and awake, this girl drowned. So in the same way, there are people drowning all around us in their sin. So Christian, are you awake? Are you alert to the fact that if they die and don't know Christ, they will perish in, in hell forever? I don't tell you this to judge you guys. I'm telling myself this as well, that we need to be alert and awake to let people know that there's a Savior who loves them. And secondly, lastly, um, we seek as a church family to disciple one another to as Titus, uh, Titus 2, 12-13 says, live upright and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. Church, we are to point one another to Christ, who is coming back, which builds up our faith in Him. As me and my wife have been going through this, this process have been so helped by our church, pointing us to the hope that we have in Christ. And we are so grateful for that. And that's what we are to do as a church, is to point one another back to Jesus, again, and to the promising, and being reminded that he is coming back. This is what Jesus Christ has called the church to do as we await the return of our Savior. I love how Aiken sums it up in, in his commentary. He says it this way. He says, Oh, how tragic it would be for our Lord to return and find his church asleep at the will neglecting her assignment, squandering her resources, deceiving herself into thinking he won't come today and discover tomorrow never comes. I pray we as a church will be vigilant and being on guard, pursuing holiness and taking every opportunity afforded to us to proclaim the good news of our Savior as we await his return. And lastly, I want to end with a question as we, as we end here. And the question is to you and to, to all of us in this room individually, are you ready to stand before Christ the judge and king? Look with me again at verse 26. It says, And they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And when you read that verse in verse 26, does it cause you to rejoice? Right? Does it cause you to say, Yes, Lord, please come, as Zach prays every Sunday at the end of our service, right? He says, Please, Lord, come quickly. Right? Or does it cause you to fear? Does it cause you to, to tremble in fear? If you would honestly say that Christ's return causes you to have fear, I want you to know that you don't have to fear, but there is hope. Jesus has been prophesied from the beginning in Genesis 3, all the way back at the beginning of the Scripture, where God said that one day Satan would be crushed. Jesus has fulfilled this by crushing the enemy, sin and death for you on the cross. 
The Bible says, in uh, each day, I love this part, the each, each day is a gift given by God. So today, again, I was praying this morning, just being reminded, this day is a gift given to us, right? Especially if you don't know Christ, this is a day he's been given to you so that you would turn from your sin, repent, and believe in him. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 6, 2, um, today is the day of salvation, right? Today is the day of salvation. So if you don't know Christ or if you have questions about him, come talk to us. Or at this moment, if you feel this, the need to, to, to know Christ, cry out to him because he promises that he will save you, right? If you seek forgiveness of your sins, ask him to save you, make, make him Lord and, and Savior of your life, he will do it. Again, we do not know when Christ will return. So do not wait because it, it, it will be too late. Right? If you say, oh, I'll do that tomorrow, I'll do that next week, I'll look at, to Christ next week, right? There may not be a tomorrow. There may not be a next week because, again, we don't know the day when he's coming back, right? And so if you feel the need to turn to Christ, if you, if you, if you see your need for Jesus, turn to him and he will save you. Be restored in the person God created you to be, which is to have him as your king and heavenly father where ultimate joy and peace and satisfaction is found. Let the day of his return, verse 26, let that day not bring you fear, but let that day bring you hope and joy. I want to end with this quote, and I'll be done. I love this quote. It's, me and my wife read it in our devotional from Paul Tripp. He says this. Listen to this. He says, if you are connected to Christ, if you are a Christian, this means there will be a day when you won't have to hope anymore because the paradise you have hoped for will be, a, a, will be the eternal reality in which you live. Did you get that? There will be a day, if you know Christ, where you don't have to hope anymore. Because paradise, the paradise which you have hoped for will be the eternal reality in which you live. Wow, what a day, right? There will be no more pain, no more tears, no more suffering, no more death, right? We'll be in paradise and, and worshiping God the Father. So that's the hope that we have in Christ, and that's the hope that we need to proclaim to the world as we're staying awake and alert for his return. So let me pray.